The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. So thrilled to be here with you on this Wednesday morning. You know I love Wednesdays because we start and we have Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grand-Fichet is here. She's going to be answering your questions in real time. Nothing makes me happier than that. And then, of course, in the second hour, I'm joined by Nancy Allspot-Jackson from Autism Care Today. And she and I will do Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We have great guests for you this morning. First, we're going to start with Leah Hirschfeld, who's going to take apart some research for you that I know you're going to love. Uh, then we have uh, Paige Marlfalk and Lori Ireland from Extraordinary Ventures. We've covered this topic on the show before. They're a wonderful sort of city within a city that employs individuals who are on the autism spectrum and a wide variety of different employment um, venues, which we just love. And then we have a speech and language pathologist who specifically is going to talk with us about how the school system is not fulfilling uh, the needs of our nonverbal pop population. That's Sir Susan Berkowitz. So big, big show end to end. Uh, now, there are lots of different ways that you can participate because the whole show is meant to be interactive. So Traven is going to show you a bunch of the different ways that you can connect with us. And while he does that, I want to remind you that we have a brand new website. Uh, and we've been getting a lot of feedback. Uh, from all of you, DJ, I love that you're sending me feedback. We're on top of it. Uh, so go check us out at autism-live.com. Push all the buttons. Look at all the videos. It's a great new way to search all of the different topics that we've done. And if there's a series of videos that you particularly like, we have playlists for all. So if you just want to watch Ask Dr. Doreen, we've made it easier than ever. In fact, not only can you click on the icon that says Ask Dr. Doreen, but up at the top, uh, you can do where it says search topics. If you click on that, there's a drop-down menu where you can search topics and ask Dr. Doreen by show or by topic. You can do it by text or by video. We've tried to make it as user-friendly as possible. You will notice on the new website that um, when we are live, it says so in the top bar. With uh, There's a red button that says live. And it should automatically open on your screen, but if it doesn't, click on it and let us know if it doesn't open. And the, the chat box is now at the bottom of the page. You'll see a little button that says chat. You click on it, it opens up, and you can write to us, and I can see your questions here on my screen almost in real time, which is really fabulous. And it also gives me a date stamp now, which is truly a wonderful thing. Um, but I still need you to tell me if you're writing a question uh, 
give me a reference. Don't just say, when she said this, because I don't know which she you're talking about. So try to be specific with your pronouns if you can remember to do that. I know that it's super duper hard. It's all free, all the different places that we are. I especially want to remind everybody, because I've been told that I have not been doing this enough. When you go to find our podcast on iTunes, and we do podcast to iTunes, you have the choice when you download, and it is a free download to you. You have a choice of do you want to download it with picture or just with sound. So if you want to take us in the car, you absolutely can. <clears throat> Excuse me. You just have to click that little button that says you want the audio only and take us in the car. We certainly enjoy being with you as long as you're safe, right? That's the whole thing. All right, so all of those things are super-duper important, but nothing is more important than what we're going to do right now because it is time for... Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen, we're here with Dr. Doreen Grampichet. Always thrilled to be here Thank with you. Thank you so much. Good to be here. And for those of you who don't know, Dr. Grampichet is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for a ridiculous number of years uh, for one who has such good skin, uh, right? <laughs> that doesn't you. It doesn't equate, right? But she's worked with a wide variety of individuals, everything from very young babies to senior citizens. She has a wealth of knowledge. She's truly a visionary in this field that she recognizes not only that people on the spectrum are whole people, they have whole lives, um, and that that has to be addressed, which thank you for mm -hmm. looking thank at you. our kids and our adults and, uh, and everyone in between that way, but she also recognizes that they have a, a group of people around them that are a support staff and that those people have individual needs as well, be that the family, um, siblings, siblings right. um, and also the people who are helping to take care of and to treat, that those are people who have to be also included in a, an equation of what do we need to do to make the most progress. Absolutely. So, and you, you help to take care of all of us, thank and, you which so I much. appreciate. Thank you very uh, much. No, thank you, <laughs> honestly. So um, she is going to answer questions that you guys have sent in. We always like to give you a disclaimer at the start of the show that there is no expert in any field, uh, no matter how many years they work, that could give specific, individual specific advice in this particular format. Right. There is telehealth, which is different than this, right? But in this format, she's going to give you information of a general nature, right. which is still incredible. Mm -hmm. um, I hope it'll help. I, it, people write in all the time and say how helpful this is. That's so, great. That's um, great. And, and this weekend I got to meet a lot of people in person who were saying that they were Love big fans so of the show. Oh, that's great. And, and that how helpful this is and that's how much awesome. they learned from it. Um, so truly wonderful. But um, you have to write in. So take advantage of the many different ways to write in. We'll try to get to as many questions as we can. And... Um, I'm going to start with a question that came in last week that we didn't get to. What does the research say about young children getting only 20 hours a week of ABA therapy? Is, is it at all effective? I can't quote this, but I once heard about a study that did 20 hours a week for a group of children with autism and compared with children in their regular ed who did not receive service as a, and they made equal progress, and this came into us last week. So, um, 
What, yeah. what would you like to say to that? So, you know, one of the things about autism that's really important for us to pay attention to is that no two children are the same. Right? The children are very different from each other. And so I never really like to generalize in, and say, oh, 20 hours isn't enough. For one child, it might be enough. For another child, it might not be enough. Um, historically, the concept is that if you are doing a comprehensive ABA program, so if you're trying, and, and let me define that, uh, you know, the, the goal of ABA, I'm going to just keep going back in time, ABA it became an important thing and um, back when we were able to, in the 80s, um, show that by doing intensive ABA, children on the spectrum were actually able to recover from autism. So this is when the world started paying attention to this science and said, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, it's actually... Uh, shows that these children don't have a lifelong genetic disorder necessarily and that if you do all the right things, it is possible for at least some children to lead normal lives. And so that was the beginning of a whole new era of looking at the application of behavior analysis or, or behavioral psychology to autism. And so the original study, which was the LOVA study in 87, which was the seminal study in our field, changed everything, showed that um, there, were, there were three groups of children, and there was uh, one group that was our experimental group, and this group had, uh, was receiving 40 hours a week. It actually, they were receiving more than 40 hours a week, and th th that's kind of something that people don't realize. Um, the, the reason that we had said 40 hours was because parents work. 40 hours a week. So those were the hours where a therapist was working with the child. But really, we in, in that study, we had trained the parents to the point that they were part of the team. And so when the child, when the therapists were gone home, the child would continue to receive therapy from the parents. And we did that for many years after the 87 study as well, where parents were actually part of the therapy team. Which makes me think maybe we should start like actually pushing that a little I'm bit more. I'm just having a moment here <coughs> where I'm like, I don't that. emphasize that enough. Yeah. And it's funny, if you go back and read that original study mm -hmm. where the biggest success was, you can see that it says, it should say, uh, every, every waking hour. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember this because we used to talk about that. We used to say... Uh, when we were determining recommendations, we'd always look at, if it's a two-year-old, they're not as wake at, awake as long as a four-year-old is, right. right? They take naps and so on. So we'd look at covering every waking hour using the entire team and the family, the parents. And I um, think people, mo a lot of people know that you were a part of that study. Absolutely, that, absolutely, that study absolutely, that came out in yeah. 87. Yeah, 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 for sure. In fact, the film of the study I helped make. Yeah. So I worked very hard on that study and many of the children, I knew most of those children and uh, was part of their treatment teams or supervising their treatment teams. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew those, those kids. Um, so what was very important was that we did this study, uh, the, that was our experimental group. So the other two groups were um, receiving either 10 hours a week of our type of therapy and that was only because they were too far from UCLA 
And at that time, we had students uh, doing this therapy, and we couldn't send them to, you know, 50 miles out. So those kids were receiving 10 hours a week just because we were not in a position to give them 40. And then there was the third group. The third group was receiving about 10 hours a week of intervention at a different section of UCLA, which was called the Neuropsychiatric Institute, MPI, which is now Semel, Semel Institute. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was MPI. And um, so that, so essentially what ended up happening after about two and a half years, and there were other things, like we tried to match the kids. The kids were all below a certain age, below age three and a half, four. So what happened, ended up happening after a couple of years was that our group, uh, half of the kids had recovered, and I'm going to talk about the definition of that, the experimental group. Mm -hmm. The other two groups who were receiving 10 hours each, one of them, remember, was receiving 10 hours of our own intervention. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't enough, and only 2%, 2% of those children had actually recovered, which was really one child, and 47% uh, of the experimental group had. So this really showed that there's a huge different, uh, difference when you do intensive work. Yeah. If you don't do enough intensive work, it's just not going to hit yeah. all the kids. It's not going to work. But that's everything in life. That's if everything in life. you're trying to learn to play in life. The, the violin and you only spend an hour on it a week, you're going to get a much different result than if you spend 40 hours a week on that's it. That's exactly right. Now, that's a great example because when you look at something like playing the violin, even if you do an hour a week, eventually in 40 years you might learn just as much as someone who did 10 hours a week mm -hmm. learned when they were five, you know yeah. what I mean? So. It, what you're doing by doing less hours is you're extending the time frame. Now, with children who are learning, you don't have the luxury of extending the time frame because when you do that, the child is aging, right? The chronological age is increasing. And as they get older and older and older, two things happen. One is there are thousands more things they have to learn. Just think about what a two-year-old is capable of doing as opposed to a six-year-old or five-year-old. Yeah. I mean, a five-year-old being able to teach all the things that a typically developing five-year-old knows how to do is a massive amount of work. And then on top of that, the child now has to go to school as well. Yeah. So your hours are going down. Your hours of, of availability for this child are going down and the amount of stuff that the child has to learn is increasing. So that's one thing. Yeah. The other thing that happens is brain plasticity goes down. So the highest, uh, uh, we, we just can't learn enough when we're past age seven. But the, you know, this is why people who are fluent in multiple languages have always been exposed to those languages prior to age seven because the, the, the highest uh, flexibility of the brain and the ability to learn new material is much, much younger. Yeah. So with that in mind, the concept of teaching a child intensively is very, very important. Now, if you have a child, so that's, that's to the study, right? Th that's the key study. I think the study that you are referring to here is the Sallows study, the Glenn Sallows study. And you should actually go back and look at that study. It's not a matter of uh, there was equal progress. There were a lot of different uh, findings in that study. And here's, here's what I want you to think about. Don't worry about a study. You have a child. And what's important is, is to think about your child. Because 
studies in general, the findings of a study are relevant only in that they apply to masses. When you're looking at a, one single child and you're looking at a spectrum disorder like autism, it's really valuable, more valid, much more valid if you have the ability to just look at your child and see what would be appropriate for your child. If there's a very, very high functioning young child, then obviously what they have to learn is less and you have more time because they're very young, like two years old. If it's a very severely autistic older child, then obviously what they need to learn is more and you're out of time, right? So this is what's important. How much time do you have and how severely in need is your child? So that's why I always say do an assessment to find out exactly what your child needs. That's why many years ago, as you know, Shannon, we developed the skills index, the assessment on mm -hmm. skills. And I really recommend for this viewer to get on skills. And um, that is just, you go online and you look for skillsforautism.com. Skills I have a little tent somewhere and I'm looking for it. I know, I don't see, see it anywhere. I moved it off the desk, I'll find it. But essentially just Google skillsforautism.com and you'll go in there. And there's an um, assessment portion and it starts with asking you questions about your child. You put in your child's age, your chronological age. And so the assessment will give you every possible skill that a child, a typically functioning child of that age, should be able to master, should be able to do right now. So it'll ask you questions. It'll ask you hundreds of questions. For example, you know, it'll start with, does your child make sounds? Um, if you say yes to that, you get, go to more advanced questions like what you know what kind of sound it's all yes and no does your child make this type of sound does your child say single words does your child communicate in three words phrases does your child use these types of adjectives or whatever it is it keeps going on and that's just language but this the questions are um, through all areas of functioning so you'll get a series of questions in language motor adaptive skills social skills play skills uh, let's see, motor is both fine motor and gross motor, um, executive functions, cognitive skills. I mean, it's pretty much across all areas of functioning, including academic. So you answer all these questions, yes or no, my child can or cannot, and you'll get a nice little visual that shows the deficits, like the areas your child is not doing, and they should because it's their age level. Like you should be actually able to say, three-word phrases if you are age two, that sort of thing. And it'll give you an exact listing of all the different sub-skills that need to be taught to catch your child up to a certain age. If, it's, if it, you, know, you look at that, and it, now someone who is experienced with ABA will come in and they'll start doing work with your child for a few months. This is the most accurate you can get. And if it's a good VCBA who's done this for many years, that's very important because this is really based on experience, right? You look at the rate of acquisition of the child. Now, we've actually developed an algorithm which we're trying to get on external skills so people can play with this. And it, once, it, it, once your child is learning for six months or so, we develop what's called a rate of learning line. Like it'll show how fast your child masters things. 
Um, does your child master them like a new thing every uh, hour? Does your child master a new concept every week? Whatever it is, mm -hmm. of a certain difficulty level, right? So it shows kind of like if your child is mastering things at this angle versus at this angle, that means they're mastering things pretty rapidly. You put in your child's age, you put in your, you, you have a history of your child's learning rate. That's learning rate. That's the number of items they learn over time. Mm -hmm. And then you know how long and how many hours. You, and you say, okay, my child's only two, right. and I have like three more years where my child will be five. And how much, how much intensity do I need for three years in order for my child to actually get to typical levels? So he's missing, let's say, 200 skills. I need to teach these 200 skills, and he's learning at this rate. How many hours a week should I actually do in order for my child to hit the line of trajectory that gets to the point where he's going to master all these 200 things, mm -hmm. right? It'll tell you the intensity. Now, the intensity is going to be either very intense, like 40 hours right. or more, right. or it's going to be 20 hours, or right. it's going to be 10 hours. It depends on your child and your child's rate of learning. That's like way more accurate than looking at what past research has said. Yeah. Now, all of that aside, I do want to say kind of a disclaimer about this, because I'm one of those people that would like to... You know, when, when your child has aged, they've aged. The time has passed, right? So it's always better to err on the side of being cautious and doing more rather than doing less. Because by doing more, all you're doing is speeding up time, right? Your child might master things faster than age five. They yeah. might get to the, the level of normal by four. Great. Everybody's yeah. happy. Yeah. By doing less, you might miss the mark. Right? You, your child might get to age five and six and your funding all cut out and you have to go to school and your child still has a hundred things left to learn. Yeah. That's why I always push people to go more, for more intensity at the beginning when the child is young because later on a lot of issues happen. It's much yeah. harder to get funding for older kids and there's a million other things that you're dealing with, academics yeah. and safety and lots of other things. But now having said that, a huge long answer, right? Sorry. But having said that for the, the mom of the 15 year old who's watching, who's never had ABA, right? Um, we don't want you to think that there's no reason to get ABA now, even though your child has aged out and you aged know, out of that recovery, early, aged out yeah. of recovery. That doesn't mean anything, right? right. Because for the 15 year old, you're, you have, let's say, you're at a point where there are like a hundred skills missing and the key skills that you want to teach your child which would keep him safe, help him communicate, get him to a point where he can have a vocation, uh, get him to a point where he might be able to live independently, all of those things do not necessitate teaching all hundred skills. You just maybe have to teach 20, 30 skills, and that's extremely doable. Yeah. ABA is a way of teaching. It's not something that you age out of. It's effective even if you're 70 years old. It doesn't matter what age you are. It is a technique for teaching, and it works more than anything else. And it works not just with the population of yeah. individuals with autism. It works on us. Yes. It works with everyone. It's the most effective way of changing behavior. So absolutely, for the 15-year-old, for the 30-year-old, yesterday we had a call from someone who's 
they were calling for a 45 year old yeah. and I was excited about it because yeah. bringing someone in at that age to our adult center and helping them is is very exciting it's life changing absolutely I mean, the, the families who it's just so incredible to think that sometimes there's one little thing that if you could fix it the quality of life goes up for everyone for that individual and for everybody Definitely. who loves them um, you know, so don't feel like there's no reason after a certain time. Uh, but if you are in that window of time when your child is young, take everything that you can and use it to the max. You will, I say this to parents every day of the week, you will never be sorry if you do everything and more. That's right. You will get someplace that you didn't know that you could get. It will be different for every single person. But you, yeah, the thing that's great is you will have nothing left in you that's like, oh, I wonder if we had... Right? Right. I see Absolutely the parents right. of the teenagers who go, oh, man, I missed the boat. And they, you know, I hate it when parents are stuck there because they're missing something right now. Don't, if you've got a young kid, don't give that to yourself later on. Give yourself the gift of knowing we did everything that we could and do as Absolutely many hours right. as we can. Right. All right. On that note, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back to answer more of your questions. So stick with us. Do you provide care services to someone We're with totally autism? We're totally muted. Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem-solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. with uh, Dr. Doreen Grampuchet, and she's answering your questions in real time, and that is such a pleasure. Uh, and so I want to move from the question that we were talking about, about frequency, uh, although I could talk about that forever. Absolutely. I'm sure you could, too. 
Uh, we had a mom who wrote in a two-part question, and I believe it's the same mom who wrote in both parts of the question, uh, but maybe not, but I think so. For, so the first part, she said, Hi, I'm a mom of a 15-year-old that was diagnosed with selective mutism at age 5 and got a new diagnosis in this past summer. Because my son is still not able to speak in public, the BCBA thinks that he could benefit from an augmented device, and is there a place that we can get a donation for one? Uh, but then we got the next thing, and I do think they're connected, said, Hi, I have a child who was diagnosed with selective mutism at 5. This is why I think they're the same. Uh, autism was ruled out because according to all the specialists, if it was autism and he speaks at home, he would speak in all settings, which I don't understand that, but we'll continue on. Another reason was that he had eye contact, even though it was only for a second or two. He's now 15 and we finally got an autism diagnosed this past summer. I feel like he's running out of time and decided to pay out of pocket for the diagnosis. This doc doctor looked at us and said, you'll have to convince me that he's not on the spectrum. The problem is he's in a category in which there is no box he can check. Mm -hmm. uh, we took him to an autism center for an intake, and one RBT said that she doesn't see the autism. Oh, we have so much to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, how do we deal with people like that, and how do we help him at such a late age? Let's... let's First of all, start with talking about what an RBT is and isn't. Right. Um, <laughs> let's start there, shall yeah, we? Sure, sure. Um, an, an RBT is a registered behavior technician, so it's someone who actually has a high school diploma and 40 hours of training. They should not be in a position to tell you what they see or don't see. They're not a diagnostician. Um, they do not have any idea what the symptoms of autism are. So. Uh, that is just an inappropriate comment, and you can ignore that completely. <laughs> so that's that. Thank you very much. Um, moving on from that, though, there's a lot of different things here that we can, can dissect and jump into. And I would want to say it is extremely unusual for a child to fully communicate at home and uh, for a child on the autism spectrum. Uh, to fully communicate at home but not in public. That is why I wonder what I want to ask you, and I can't really comment on this because I haven't seen your child, and I don't know what other factors there are. I don't know what his level of communication is at home. I don't know when you say public what you are referring to, et cetera, et cetera. But what I want to say is, why, let me just ask you, why do you feel that the diagnosis of selective mutism is not appropriate for your child? Because what you are describing, a child who speaks at home but does not speak in public, could be a diagnosis of selective mutism. And why do you think that he has autism? What other symptoms, speaking or not speaking, is only one of many symptoms that need to be present for a diagnosis of autism. So I would say you, and, and I don't know what kind of doctor it was that you saw who said you'll have to convince me he's not on the spectrum, then I'd like to know what are the symptoms that the doctor saw or you see that indicate to you that he's on the spectrum of autism. That's there where you go. I am. You know, and I'm very cautious about that because both things happen. We have a lot of people who have autism who have a very hard time trying to convince anyone that they have autism. At the same time, what's starting to happen now is a lot of people who don't have autism 
and have other issues. And because autism is in the news every day, uh, they feel, oh, maybe I have autism too. And so I've experienced both sides of this now because I do diagnose people. And it's more than ever before in my career. And I have been diagnosing since 1992, Sharon. So a long time. I've seen hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of people at all ages for diagnosis alone. I have to say, more than any other time in my entire career, I'm getting people who are not on the spectrum, mm -hmm. who either think they are or believe they are or were told they are or are just lost and confused about some issue, mental health issues they're having and they yes. wonder if it's autism. Yeah. So it's really important. It, it's very important and I think it's important to discuss what I love, I mean, we are here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Correct. And you do treat more than just autism of course, here. Of course, of and, and I think it's really important. Everybody gets bogged down in the, well, I need the diagnosis. And, and I love that you always say here on the show, you do if you want funding. Yeah. But not even that anymore because there is funding for ABA now for other things for as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that And that I think it's super important that we talk about the difference between do I need to get the diagnosis or do I just need to take action? Right. And because a lot of times people, like, you know, we have a lot of adults who will come in and say, what do I need to do to get the diagnosis? And, and the first conversation that we end up having is, do you really need, like, what's your issue? Right. Are, is there something that you're having a hard time with? Right. And then let's address that. Right. If you find that you would feel better getting the diagnosis, right. or if you feel that it would open doors to funding for you, then, then absolutely that's a path that you should take. Absolutely. But here we have a 15-year-old who clearly has issues. And what's frustrating for me for this parent is that the conversation keeps swirling about does he or doesn't he. What I'd like to know is have any of these people said, let's, let's treat this individual Exactly. Um, so, and, and perhaps they're trying to help in terms of giving you the diagnosis of selective mutism because a diagnosis of selective mutism is more indicative of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then you're down a completely different path, mm -hmm. which, which also would indicate, okay, maybe he should be on antidepressants, which are anti-anxiety and antidepressants, the same thing. And, or maybe he should be going down that path. Maybe he should be getting cognitive behavior therapy. The, the importance of a diagnosis is only because it, it helps classify the individual in a group where we know what type of treatment has worked for that group. But realistically, if you are concerned, let's figure out what are the symptoms and how do we change them. It could be a combination of behavior therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, medications that are helpful, a variety of other types of psychological interventions. So. That's the real answer to this, right? It's like, uh, let's not try to go for a particular diagnosis because we think that there's more uh, help in that arena. It could be the exact, it could be the absolute inappropriate help. If your child it doesn't need ABA, maybe they need more CBT, maybe they just need some SSRIs. Like this is what's important to identify is actually what are the symptoms. So this and is what the mom. Does he need? And what does he need? So you know, realistically, if you write in some of the symptoms and things that are you're seeing that you're concerned about, it might be that I can guide you to what type of individual or doctor you should see 
uh, I could guide you to a whole array of possible areas that you should be investigating more. Uh, maybe it is autism. I don't know. There's just not enough here to be able to tell. Okay. So take the opportunity to write back to us. Um, you can do it on the live feature on our on our website, which is what you did before. Or you always, all of you have the ability to email me. My email is s.penrod, P-E-N-R-O-D, at autism hyphen, that's the one in the middle, live, L-I-V-E dot com. You can write to me and then, then you're not held to a certain number of characters and you can outline Absolutely. the whole thing and... And, 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 and I would easy. ask, and I would ask if you're going to write in. I would ask specifically that you describe how he speaks at home. What is his level of communication? Because you say that he's speaking at home. Uh, what level of communication does he have at home? What types of things does he? How how complicated of a communication can he express everything at home? Are there um, are there delays uh, in his mode of communication at home as well? Uh, they're just not as much, but describe his, what he's functionally doing at home. And then also, um, does he have anxiety? That, I think, is important for me to know. Okay. I just want to take just a second to uh, address some of the people on Facebook who are just writing in and saying hi. We want to say hi to Paula and Nava and Faith. Faith, you wrote in a question, and I'm not sure that I understand, so if you could give me a little bit more information um, she said, well, what can be done with dolls and stuffed animals? Write in and tell, be a little bit more specific with me, Faith, and, and then we'll know. Samantha Leone is watching, oh, and awesome. shout out to Samantha. Samantha said, imagine if more masters in their field were this accessible and generous to those who need help. And she said, love Dr. D and Shannon and miss you. And Samantha, we miss you so much. We I can't, do, I can't do. even, don't make me cry. Uh, Rosie <laughs> says hi. Helen says hi. We're doing good, Helen. How are you? Also, uh, Monica is watching, and we reached out to have Monica on the show with her daughter. Monica, I, I'm not going to say your last name because I'm, you know, but Monica, uh, you may know, uh, you have met Monica and her child before. Uh, Alicia <laughs> is uh, watching as well. So thank you to all of you nice. for writing in, and um, and we so appreciate it. Uh, Thomasina wants to know, what do you do when children can't go to sleep and stay up all night? And, like, we get this uh, question a lot, right? right sleep is right. a big part of what people want to know. Sleep is a big one, and it's one where I don't recommend you try to tackle this on your own. I, I often try to teach parents as much as I can to enable them to do things on their own without help, but this is a tough one. Uh, because it is because you will be physically exhausted. Like this is one where I really feel like you need it takes a village, right? Yep. On sleep issues, and it's important to have a tremendous amount of support. Like we're talking three, four people, because uh, including you, because you will have to. Uh, as a parent who, myself, who's gone through sleep three times with my kids you will have a lot of emotion around this and you will be exhausted um, and you will want to disturb the protocol because you will want to protect your child. This is a very typical reaction for parents because the sleep one, and I'll talk about it in a minute, is, is very emotional for parents. And so what you need is to be able to have trusting people around, people that you trust fully so that you can be removed for periods of time um, and they can help manage the protocol. The protocol involves um, 
first, you know, the, the BCBA working with you will establish some baselines and will be able to identify kind of exactly when your child wakes up or what, what potential reasons are waking the child up. Obviously, you want to eliminate all of those types of things, for instance. Uh, it is a, it tremendously important to make sure that the child is in darkness. Darkness is very important. Sounds, our children are extremely sensitive to sounds. Often we don't realize these are sounds we don't even hear, they hear. So you want to make sure that there's no background noise. Uh, little things I find have been very important, like in the middle of the night, the sprinklers go on in the neighbor's house and your child is so sensitive that they hear that and wake up from it. Um, other things that could be waking your child up are all, these are all antecedent modifications. So things like, you know, when, if you, if in the past you have always given your child something to drink or eat when they wake up, uh, our, our stomachs have a very interesting way of alerting us to that. It, they, they're like an alarm clock almost. So if the child has been in the habit of actually eating or drinking something every time they wake up, they will continue to wake up. It's just a very th common thing that happens with all human beings. It's very easy to train the stomach to work like an alarm clock. So uh, that could be something that's leading to the child waking up. But most likely what happens with our children is they wake up, they will either come to you as the parent or they will call out for you and you will go. And uh, either we, we have a follow-up too. She wants to know uh -huh. if stress has anything to do with the behavior. With waking up, I mean, it's possible. Absolutely, of course, stress has to do with everything. But children generally are not waking up as a result of stress. It's more stress is most of the time something that will affect adults. But it's possible. It's something to be considered. But the, the main thing that I want you to think about is what usually happens when a child wakes up is that we reward it. And the way that we reward it, it's inadvertent. But we walk in, we hug the child, we try to calm them. Um, so the child or they come to you and they sleep in your bed, a hugely rewarding activity. And um, when they're very, very little, when they're babies, that's the natural response. And of course, you have to do that because you... The child can't express what it is they actually want. But unfortunately, what ends up happening is that the child falls on a, on a routine, on a habit, where they feel like, uh, okay, every time I get up, someone's going to come and take care of me. And so it becomes a habit that has been rewarded. And like anything else, any other behavior, you remove the reward and you reward the behavior that's completely contrary to it, which is sleeping. And that's why it's very, very hard for parents because... If, if a child has gotten into the habit of you coming in uh, and I tell you now you need to stop going in, uh, the child's going to get up and try to come to you and then I tell you you need to make sure the child cannot exit their room, you're going to be traumatized. You are going to be traumatized. You're going to think, oh my God, how can I ignore my child screaming and crying in there? Um, and really what's happening is nothing. The child is just breaking a habit and sometimes breaking a habit is very, very hard. So that's why I sort of really suggest with sleep, um, you have a professional there who can work this through with you very gradually and slowly. For instance, if you go in, you cannot stay longer than X amount of seconds or minutes, and you gradually reduce that, and you no longer go in, and you can just communicate on a uh, monitor instead of going in. There's a lot of ways you, we can fade you out so that your child realizes 
no one's coming in. I'm going to have to self-regulate myself. I'm going to have to soothe and calm myself, and I'm going to have to settle down. And then their sleep becomes normalized. Now, I say all this from a behaviorist perspective. It, you know, a lot of times, sometimes it happens that we work on this. Most of the time, it's successful right away, like literally three nights, and the whole thing is over. It's just the child becomes very easy to soothe and calm, and they sleep. In almost 99% of the time, that happens. Once in a while, you'll have a child who's having something like subclinical seizures or some other thing is happening, like maybe apnea or something is happening where the child is not able to self-calm. And those are the children who, after three nights, they're still uncomfortable and crying and so on. And that's when I recommend you, you see a physician and do a series of tests to make sure none of that's happening. But in general, uh, the, the most common, by far, the most common reason children wake up is because we tend to calm them, we tend to soothe them, and they become used to it. Great. And she said thank you already. Oh, that's great. Uh, so wonderful, wonderful advice. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we're going to come back with uh, Chris has written in and said, what do you think about children playing online games with others for social interaction? That's great. So great uh, stick with us. We're going to be back after these messages. Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're at the ABCs and XYZs of Special Needs Conference. And this year, for the first time, they've got something really remarkable. It's the Entrepreneurial Boutique. These are all items that have been made and are being sold by individuals who have special needs. So we're going to do a little shopping and talk to some of these fabulous entrepreneurs. Come on. My name is Molly Rarick and I'm founder of Reed's Gift. We're a nonprofit that serves teens and adults with special needs like Chase here. Uh, we were founded in 2013 and serve people in the Conejo Valley, Santa Barbara, and LA. Our main objective is to give our participants the skills they need to gain a more independent life. My name is Shelly Cox and um, Lisa Zalagi and I are founders of Creative Steps and Create Micro Business Enterprises. And the, the items that we're selling here today are all made by the clients who have uh, passions about what they want to make and then they get the profits from what they make after we've paid all of the other expenses. We are here today because um, I, my goal is to be independent and also I would like to share all my artwork and I would like to sell. Thinking about at his young age being a businessman, you know, it's, it's amazing. I cannot be more proud. Hi, I'm Lisa Ackerman. Welcome back to another Talk of Fact we bring you the most common questions and, and share those answers that help your journey um, and along for you and your family. One of the most common questions we hear all the time is why are these doctors working with kids on the autism spectrum so expensive? Well, there's a simple answer. 
kids with autism take more time. And unfortunately, if you look at a regular pediatrician's practice, they may see anywhere from 30 to 60 patients every day. So you may get at most three to five minutes with those, um, those doctors. With doctors that specialize in autism, they're called MAPS doctors, the Medical Academy of Pediatric Special Needs. They spend quite more time with each family and each patient. And that could be an hour to an hour and a half for each family that is actually being spent just talking about your child, looking at labs. So why are they more expensive? Well, your pediatrician probably gets paid a lot more per hour based on the number of people they see. A MedMaps doctor is solely dedicated to what you're doing and what your child needs. So look at it this way. If you're spending time with your MedMaps doc and you're working with that doc and it, you will literally on average see somewhere between four to seven hours per year. And then don't forget that other fact we talked about, how to get the best possible healthcare reimbursement. So you can make sure that that time is well spent, not only getting answers, but also reimbursed by health insurance. So there, another very detailed long fact um, from TACAFACTS. This is Logan Shepard. At first glance, he looks like a typical American teenager. He plays in a band, loves hanging out with his friends, he doesn't like doing homework, and he's not really fond of broccoli. But Logan Shepard is not your typical 14-year-old. Logan was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. He was nonverbal, made no eye contact, and his parents were told to abandon all hope. Instead, his parents began an intensive intervention treatment. At its center was a quality ABA program known as the CARD method. This is Logan Shepard now. All I really want to say is like, I'm kind of copying Martin Luther King. I kind of have a dream like that one day, like I can just like inspire people and never give up. Cause like, that's what I want to do in life. Cause if I can succeed, they can succeed and I will succeed. To follow Logan's musical journey, visit www.facebook.com slash official drummer rock or at drummer rock on Instagram. For more information on the card method, visit www.centerforautism.com or call 800-345-CARD. Rock on, Logan. I always am thrilled to see Logan Shepard play the drums. Um, and, Me too. And Hello. that that video is old. We need to do a new video with Logan. Uh, Logan is 17 and now he was 14 then, and he continues to tour. Uh, I'm so excited for him. Kid. Yeah, yeah. What an amazing kid. And and he, you know, his name is Logan Shepard. He was our shepherd to to card. Yeah, uh, he he was the kid that I saw that I said I we need to do whatever these people are doing. So yeah. just just love uh, Logan, and of course uh, I got so busy talking. We had a question that came in from Chris, and Chris wanted to know what you think about 
uh, individuals playing games um, online with other people and socializing. And what do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I feel that, uh, and I've often said this to you, I feel like we all need to recognize the fact that online gaming um, and also, it, it, it's just the, it's the way that people socialize now. I mean, things have changed from, I would say, 20 years ago, I would be telling parents, please be very careful, especially for some of my kids where I couldn't get them to give eye contact. I would really recommend to reduce uh, computer time as much as possible. And then, then a few years later, I was like, well, they can definitely learn a lot on computers, so let them do it as long as it's not excessive. And now I guess what I want to say is this sort of the same thing. It's, you know, I, I am, I, what I'm always shooting for, my, my uh, goalposts, let's put it that way, my goalposts have to do with typically the, the behavior of typically developing kids. So when you have children who are typically developing and 99% of their time is gaming on online with other people they don't even know, then I feel like, okay, to some extent that is pretty normal and uh, it's, uh, it's fine and we should perhaps allow our children to do some of that. The only concern that I have with that for our kids is, you know, a typically developing child might recognize when there's a predator out there or there's someone who's acting inappropriately, whereas our children may not recognize that. So as long as you know the other people who are online with the child and they're all playing, then I would say it's perfectly fine as long as it doesn't take up the child's all day and all life so that it is restricted to certain times of the day um, and that other more important things have been done, then I think it's perfectly fine because that is how children socialize right now. And especially for young men. Absolutely. I, um, I think that girls play online too, but uh, one of the great litmus tests for me, I mean, I have a husband who does voiceovers for video games, there so I don't count him as an actual good representation because he has the excuse if he's playing a game, it, you know, he always says to me, it's research, honey. <laughs> uh, right, right? And I can't dispute that. Um, but uh, we, we have a great, uh, he's a BCBA now who works uh, here at the Center for Autism that was on our team for a while. We've had him on the show before, mm -hmm. CJ Miyaki. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to throw CJ under the bus, but he has said to me before when I've expressed to him, you know, like, is this okay? Is this all right? That he still, as, uh, as oh, an adult, like gets online in the weekend and will play with friends from high school and college and they'll, they'll play a game together. And absolutely. I, and, I, and how healthy that is for him and his friends and sort of way of connecting. And that sort of quieted a lot of my fears. I was like, you know, there's no more regular guy than CJ. Like we all oh, hope that no our, our kids grow up to be like somebody like, he's the definition. You look up in he's the dictionary, great guy. Great guy there's a picture of C.J. Miyake, smart, <laughs> absolutely a wonderful husband, family man, right, good right. in his field. Like there's no, no negative about him. And he says, this is fun for me. Totally. Um, and, and I connect with my friends and doing at, this. At so. all ages. I mean, Sonny, my son, who's 20 now, yeah. uh, he will, and this is a way for him to stay in contact with his buddies from high school, right? So yeah. and they're all over the country now. They're not in the same place. So this they'll do this like maybe once a month, once yeah. a week, they, whenever the three of them are available, they'll do this. Yeah. So I think it's a, it, it is definitely 
part of social behavior right now, no question about it. And there's nothing wrong with it yeah. as long as you're sure that the other people are safe. That's right. Because even with Sonny, I remember when he first started doing this, he met someone who was a active Marine uh, who was playing with him from um, Afghanistan. And uh, I was like, this is kind of crazy. I can't believe this. And right. then uh, I, he used to actually, the, how I found out about it was that we were out one time and he was like, um, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go play. I'm like, Sonny, when we're out to dinner, we don't rush for a game. Right. And he said, but you don't understand, this guy's a Marine, he's counting on me. Right. This is his like only open right. time, I gotta go play with him. Right. And you know, I got to know the guy and I realized he's a super nice guy. And, and right. you know what, great, we'll do this for the Marines. Exactly. <laughs> and I gotta stop you because we're, we're, I gotta let you go. Right. It's time. Thank so, you. So thank you so much. And thank you so we'll much, And we look forward Adam. to next week with you being here. Always You fun. guys hang on, we're gonna be back with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Stick with us. Say howdy, we say hi. Let's get loud, let's get wild. Let's get, let's get, 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 let's get wild. Hi, welcome back to Autism Live. I'm Lisa Ackerman, Executive Director of TACA. We're gonna bake again. All right. It's my lovely assistant. Hi, I'm Jennifer Lucero. We've heard so many people go, I want a decent chocolate chip cookie for my kid to eat. We've got um, all our dry ingredients. So I've got the flour, I've got the flaxseed meal, baking soda, baking powder, our gum, or xanthan gum. Great. So we're gonna get started in the mixer here. So there's our dry ingredients. Um, I do have uh, brown sugar. We did cut this down. And the one way to do that is my favorite, and that's maple syrup. I'm using egg for this recipe, but we could use more um, uh, arrowroot and also um, the flaxseed meal. So I'll go ahead and throw my eggs in here, which I love doing. So and then the last thing is a shortening and a gluten-free casein-free butter replacement. So I'm going to go ahead and throw this in. Um, I've let it sit out for a while so it's nice and soft. So let's go ahead and mix this thing well. These are dairy-free, soy-free, and I really like them. Again, Enjoy Life is a great product. It's also nut-free. And chocolate chips are a personal thing. I won't judge you if you use the whole bag. I would. I know, right? <laughs> so here we go. Great recipe. It's the nice consistency. Um, everything's ready to go so we can enjoy our cookies here in just about 10 minutes. We want to give it a kind of like a couple inches between each cookie. You know, a lot of people are really concerned about aluminum, so what I've done is I laid down my uh, natural brown um, parchment paper and Jen's helping out putting the cookies down. So we're separating uh, the nice baked good that's all organic uh, from the aluminum cookie sheets. So let's go put these Great. in. So magic oven allows me to pull the last ones out. And voila. Yum, that's good. Really great cookies. I'll let you have a bite. So you can see my Vanna White there too. Mm. Yeah, these taste pretty good. Good, really good. Mm. We're going to come back later after I gain five pounds and <laughs> eat this entire tray. For sure. You know, more feedback is good. So if there's something you want us to convert, like yeah. a, another recipe or maybe a relative main, just let us know, autismlive at gmail.com. You can go to Facebook, or there's thousands of recipes on the TACA website just waiting for you to explore. You can go to TACANOW, T-A-C-A-N-O-W dot O-R-G, and we'll see you next time at Autism Live. Bye.
Hello there, fellow activist. You're an activist because you're making the world a better place for someone living with autism. Now on Autism Live, you learn all about your children. You learn about their bodies and their brains. But this empowerment moment is all about you. It's about your heart and your soul. Now don't worry, I'm not gonna have you start singing Kumbaya or doing chanting. Let's talk about blessings. One of the blessings of living with a child with autism is learning to love them unconditionally. Learning to love them despite all the ups and downs, all the sacrifices. In fact, you learn to love them more so because of them. I call this my empowerment prayer. God grant me the wisdom to see my disability as an opportunity, the courage to love my child unconditionally, and the faith to live a life of purpose. So going from the sublime to the ridiculous, I have a little song for you today. It's a rap song, so I know that an old or, okay, middle-aged white woman rapping just doesn't seem right, but I'm gonna go for it anyway. My style is a little like Nicki Minaj meets Dr. Seuss. Nancy's Autism Rap. It's just a diagnosis, your life's not over. Don't lay there like a dog, get up, Rover. You say your head is spinning with GFCF, ABA, IEPs, and neurofeedback? Autism's tough, that much is true. But you'll survive because you're you. Your life's not over, it's just begun. So walk out that door and go be someone. More Dr. Seuss than Nicki Minaj. Until next time. Stay strong and keep the faith. Love is a battlefield. Autism and PTSD for parents. It's a thing. I'm here to tell you it's survivable. What you need to do is remember, this is not for the faint of heart. There's actually a study that was done on mothers of children with autism, and it said, oh, this is very similar to PTSD among soldiers. And we're like, uh-huh, we needed a study for that. We already knew this. However, You've got to remember that stress is very important, not only because it's just stress that we're all dealing with, part of the modern day life, it can have serious effects. Not only does it affect your child, your spouse, other members of your family, it also affects your health. The stress is linked to immune system conditions, which can be creating conditions like risk for cancer, heart attack, stroke, anxiety, social isolation, which also depresses your immune system further, and even, girls listen to this, hair loss. How do we handle this kind of chronic battlefield condition? Well, we have to do what generals do. 
we get the troops together, we demand support, we push for what we need. So when you go into your meeting with the schools, be sure and you have people with you because it can be very difficult if you don't have someone with you to help you. Get letters from the doctors, get your evaluations, do what you need to do to get what you can for your child because that ends up making your stress less. Over the years, as you deal with this kind of stress, remember, it can be your friend because it can tell you things need to change. It can also be your enemy because it can create a lot of bad conditions. The moral of the story is don't be too strong for too long. Inclusion is everything. Feeling like we have a place where we belong, and when I say we, I'm first and foremost a mother, a mother of a child on the spectrum and not, and gym owner and now founder of carrying this to families who need it as well. My son is extremely hyperactive. Getting him to calm down is a very difficult task. So the idea of Rock the Spectrum Gym where he could just go and run and play and do all these fun things without any kind of worries and just go, go, go and bring down that energy. It just it helps us so much at home. You know, in the home or at school, it's not acceptable, but this is the one place it is acceptable for the child to kind of be themselves and get it all out there and just really just be them themselves. It's an amazing place where my son could go and be himself. Um, you get to meet other parents who are in the same journey as you are. I think the most popular aspect of it is how they include all children of all types, not just all only learning disabled, lower functioning, moderate functioning, high functioning, and non-disabled. Uh, non they are so friendly everybody's like family they always greet you with a smile there's not one negative thing I could say about any of the employees they're all absolutely amazing so I think every parent should walk in through those doors and see what an amazing gym it is now a diagnosis being one out of six kids are in some way or form affected with sensory processing disorder or autism that's why we rock now is on the rise people want to be a part of it people know that we have a community there. They know that they can learn more information about things that they don't know themselves or that they can share, build friendships, and uh, basically get what you get in an OT facility, but it's not $150 an hour. It's 12 Uh, we are, uh, Nancy and I are here. Yes, welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Yes, we, we were having a little bit of technical difficulties, right. so we didn't even do the opening to LTA. But, um, but I'm we're so here. thrilled to be here thrilled with my here good with friend, you. Nancy Allspot Jackson, and we've got so much information to cover that we're, we don't even have in the news this week no, because there's too, too many much guests. going on. Right. And starting with, on the phone right now and on Skype, uh, we have Leah Hirschfeld, who's with us, and I had just spent 
uh, a, a lot of time with her this last weekend at a conference, which I think she's going to talk about. So Leah is part of the research and development team at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And Leah, welcome back to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Welcome, Leah. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. We're thrilled that you're here, too. And I think we're, we've got uh, the Skype picture of you that they're going to put up here in just a second. But in the meet, there you there are. There she is. It's so good to see you again. I feel like I just saw you and I'm seeing you again. So you sounded like 48 hours ago. I know. And uh, this is a regular segment that we have added to the show, you guys, where so often Nancy and I have been trying to cover news stories about research, and we are just, you know, we're right. not we're, equipped. We're novices. We and, don't know it. And we're slaughtering words and stuff, so we decided to have somebody from research and development join us at least once a month. So Leah is here today, and tell us what we're going to be talking about today, because I, I love this topic. Thank you. 
only got moms, but her next step is to try again and get more fathers. Um, but so if you're a female parent who has a male partner, please encourage them to participate in the research. There's indication that potentially um, that the research is that, that parents, that dads are coping differently and have different reactions when their children are announced to have this diagnosis um, and throughout the whole process. Um, so the next one also was about best practices of teaching children with autism. Um, no surprise that at an ABA conference this was there, but the exciting thing to me was the range of information. Um, so there were, there were talks or posters about kids telling jokes to make sure that they understand jokes that their peers are telling, but also so that they can tell their peers jokes. Um, there were talks about, there were posters about community safety signs, so things like stop signs. And then there were lots of posters about teaching nouns and verbs and things like that. So if you're a parent and there's anything that you, you might think might be too small for us to be researching or no one is thinking about it, I bet you someone is. Um, that's my takeaway from this poster session. There are so many different talks about so many things. Um, the next one was about the outcomes of therapists, so making sure we're having positive outcomes there. That is to really ensure we're getting the best bang for our buck, right? The one-on-one is being ha- is happening mostly with therapists, so we want to make sure that those outcomes are great, that those those kids are enjoying working with the with the therapists, the therapists are enjoying working with kids, the parents are enjoying working with both. Um, so there was there was talks about making sure that you're having quality data from that group, which is super important because that data is the data that we then use as a BCBA to make sure that we are doing correct programming, that those skills are, are not just happening at the center, but also happening at home, et cetera. Um, there were talks about mindfulness with therapists, so making sure that, um, you know, using mindfulness as a tool to potentially encourage better outcomes when you first meet a kiddo, because um, the better rapport you have, the more they're going to like you, the more they're going to want to do your lessons with you. Um, and the last theme was parents. This was really cool to me and really exciting because it's easy to see how we could only get caught in looking at autism or only get caught in looking at how, how the autism affects the individuals diagnosed with it um, or genetic, whatever it is. But that's not what was happening at this poster session, and not even during the conference. Shannon's talk was about parents. Um, but also, so was the first opening talk, was about how to encourage appropriate word choices when talking to parents. So as an ABA provider, words like extinction might be something that we use typically, and we know what it means, and we think it's normal. Um and then what actually happens is when we say it, there is a negative reaction to it because it sounds kind of dark, right? Like extinction, like dinosaurs are dying. Um, so making sure that we're, we're using the right words to really get the right connection um, from, from parents and to making sure we're getting their buy-in. Um, so to me, it was really exciting. There was this huge range, and it was it was great to see that people weren't just focusing on only autism or even only ABA practices but on this whole range so as a parent make sure you're ask your questions about research ask your bcbas what they're doing um and why they're doing it we're research-based practice we're data-driven so there's usually a reason um and and get dads involved make sure you know everyone's kind of communicating and, and on the same page um so thank you so much for letting me go on my spiel i was really excited about this conference um and i, I hope that's helpful if there's, if there's anyone who wants to talk 
got to touch on a few of them um, or more about the talks. There were a number of really excellent talks, including Shannon's. Um, please reach out to me, to the RNG team. If there's any research questions you all have, we're happy to, to take a stab and try and answer them as well. I love that. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so Leah. Much. Have you ever been to a poster session, Nancy? No, I've never been to a poster uh, session. And I, I got to be honest that um, I had never, I, I'd never heard of it. I hadn't I didn't heard. Know what no, it this was. is the first time I've heard of it. And uh, whenever there are these scientific um, things, certainly at these mm -hmm. AVAI conferences, they they have these poster sessions, right. and they take the biggest room in the hotel, uh -huh. and um, and and there are just rows and rows and rows of these. Big, huge display boards, right? And people who've done research throughout the year can submit and say, "I want to, I want to do," and they take all the research that mm -hmm. they do and they and they encapsulate it all on a, on a poster, and that goes on the wall behind them. Okay. And they stand there, and you walk up to them, and there are numbers. There's a program that right. tell you what it is. You walk up to them, and and they will tell you what they researched, and you can ask questions of the researcher. Oh, what a great right there. thing to be able to and, do. And so, for those of you, I mean, I just I love the passion, Leah, that you brought to talking about this. If you kind of want to see some of it, we did go downstairs. I brought the Autism Live equipment. And I, for a half an hour on uh, Friday night, I went live from the poster session mm -hmm. and went up to a couple of people. I actually have the guy who did the research um, that Leah was talking about with the dad and uh -huh. the stress. Right. I went up to him, and he did a lovely, and there were about four others that I got to go up and talk to. But one of the, I didn't really have a whole lot of time, and, and so I just sort of was walking around and showing parents how many posters there were. Mm -hmm. Because so often we think that we're on a planet by ourselves, right. don't we? And oh, then absolutely. nobody's trying to help us, and why isn't somebody trying to crack the code on this behavior mm -hmm. right here? And when you see all of these fabulous people with their posters, right. there is no, you can't feel like you're alone in this right. anymore. Right. It was, that's like the most luscious thing to me. So. I was so thrilled when you said you wanted to talk about the poster session, uh, Leah, because I was like, yes, because I want to talk about it, too. The first time that I went to one, there were two women who had done a study on tying shoes, uh -huh. and they had found a quicker, easier way to tie shoes mm. to teach kids on the spectrum. And I remember going, why isn't this on the national news? Right. Um, so, but, you know, we try to put that stuff here. And... And honestly, we're going to try to connect with some of the people with some of the posters to have them, that the would ones be great. that I specifically was in love with, uh, to be on the show. That but, would be great. But Leah, I, you know, you were just so amazing, and we're so lucky that we have this opportunity to have you on from time to time. And I, and I just love how excited you get about it, too, because I get excited about it myself. And I think if parents saw, like, you, maybe you wouldn't understand everything at the conference. I didn't. Um, but you would want to go to every poster session you could get mm -hmm. to. And even if you only talk to two people, I think it would blow your mind to right. know what's happening right. in this field. And I have to say, I didn't understand everything that was going on, but researchers want to talk about their research. So yeah. I would go up and they'd be like, do you know what ACT is? Which is um, acceptance and commitment therapy, which yes. is a huge blown up in our field. Um, and I was like, I haven't heard about it. They're happy to sit there and talk to you. That's why they're standing there. They love to talk about their research, especially to someone who can then say, oh, man, that would be so great for my little Johnny or whatever yes. it is. Talk to researchers. And also on that front, talk to your BCBAs. Ask them about the research being done. If they don't know, they ask someone like me who gets to go do a literature search and like gets to look it up, and I get to learn something new, which is awesome. So please, please, please communicate any Absolutely. questions you have about any of this. And be humble.
humble enough to ask questions. I, you'll see if you go on Facebook and watch the mm -hmm. half hour that I ran around like a crazy person around the paper session. The first person I went up to, not the first person, like the third person, I said, so tell me about your research. Right. And she said a bunch of stuff. And I said, okay, does that mean X, 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 X? And she said, no. No, that's not what it means. It means, and then she reworded it. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, okay, does it mean this? And I regurgitated back what I thought I heard. And she went, no. And so on the third time she said it, and I said, oh, you mean it's this, this, and this? And she said, yes. So you finally got and it. And we had this moment. And I said, well, that's important. But be humble enough to say, so is what you're saying this? Mm -hmm. And ha Because I thought, it, and she, I think it was good for her, too, that she was like, oh, clearly I'm not making it clear enough. Right. And she would take it down. and That's good practice for them, too. So thank you. Well, I, I, love, I love your enthusiasm. And thank you so much for all the work that you did this weekend. You were just a light there this weekend, and we really appreciated it. And I appreciated it. And, and thanks for being with us. Thank you, thank Leah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Good everyone. to have you. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, so next up on our on our wild cavalcade of fabulous people today, we have the founder of Extraordinary Ventures. Yes, Lori Ireland is going to be with us along with Paige, Paige Morrow Falk, Falk, the CEO of Exceptional uh, Ventures, which is we've an, talked about them we many have, times we've on had, the show before. We have in the past mm -hmm. talked about them, a pioneering nonprofit based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and they operate some self-sustaining businesses for kids, adults on the spectrum. So we're going to. Yes, and they have a new one about. since the last time we talked to right. them, so I'm excited to talk about their, their new business that okay. they have going. So, so we're going to take a little us. break. Take a break. Right, and we'll be back. Neurodiversity in parents. One big happy family? We hope so. Anyway, what is neurodiversity? Everybody's talking a lot about it these days. Neurodiversity means that there's a view that people with autism just have a different way of being and they should be honored for that. And then parents oftentimes look at autism as a disability or a disorder and that can create some conflict. We sometimes throw up our hands, neurodiversity or neurodiversity. There can actually be some issues around this that we need to think about together. First of all, neurodiversity could be positive because it could create more of a kind of a sense of acceptance in society. Yes, these people have autism, they're just different. It could possibly help create a sense of self-esteem that's improved in people with autism. They just realize, okay, I'm not damaged, I'm not bad, whatever, I'm just different. So that could be useful. Um, on the downside, it could be an excuse to not give services to people with autism, to not have much empathy for their parents, and to not look at ways that they can be helped. And many people that have autism, they do very well. Other people do not do well at all. They can't access services. They cannot enjoy their life. They're in pain. So it is important that we understand it's not just one issue. So how do we solve this when we look at neurodiversity? I think we have to look at it this way. It's kind of like when you have that big family dinner at Thanksgiving and everybody's around the table. You got your uncle, your aunt, your kids, your parents. Everyone has an opinion. It doesn't necessarily mesh. 
And I think the way that we need to think about this is we need to respect each other's opinions because actually we need each other. We need to be allies on this. The outside world is a big place for people with autism spectrum disorders and their families. We have to remember we're one big, happy, dysfunctional family and we need to behave that way. We should respect each other, listen to each other, and we will all have a great time when it comes time to get together and celebrate the lives of people with autism. You say howdy, we say hi. Let's get rowdy, let's get wild. Let's get, let's get, 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 let's get wild. Welcome back. You're uh, live on Autism Life. And I've got my friend Jennifer here. I'm so excited she's here to help me. She's got a son named Dylan, I got a son named Jeff. We got all sorts of allergy issues. And a lot of you say, what the heck can we do to eat breakfast that's not full of carbs? And getting my son to eat vegetables. Oh, yeah. this is a vegetable. So we're gonna eat vegetables today. And right. so what we're making is zucchini muffin. So let's go ahead and get started. So we just dumped in our zucchinis. Uh, you can start with less. You wanna graduate your kid to actually eating healthy. Um, we're gonna do some eggs. And again, I use the organic cage-free eggs. So there's our eggs. I'm going to add in our oil. Again, I use a high heat oil. And the reason why I use a high heat oil, because when you bake, you want to make sure you're using an oil that doesn't disintegrate. Because when oil gets too hot and it's not meant to get hot, it becomes toxic. So you got to be careful with your oils. So there goes our maple syrup. And again, organic maple syrup. What we're going to add next is cinnamon and our baking soda, baking powder to our mix. There's a lot of variations on flowers. A lot of our kids are, are allergic to wheat, so there's a lot of things we can do to make this SCD specific carbohydrate uh, compliant or just gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free. Um, and flaxseed meal. Flaxseed meal is a great resource for extra fiber within the kids' diets. We're just gonna turn on this fabulous, wonderful KitchenAid, and we're good. It's a great, great looking batter. And what we're gonna do is talk a little bit about baking, where almost everything is aluminum, and aluminum can be a problem for some kids, especially kids that can't methylate and take the toxins out with their body. But if you've got, like me, I've got muffin tins, so I have the ability to just simply put in some cupcake um, holders, and that actually holds that together if I wanna freeze great. it. Hey, nice work. Those look right. good, but wait till you see them when they're done. All right. So I'll go ahead and pull them out. Here are the fabulous muffins. Now, I, if you've got a sensory kid that doesn't like vegetables, I can already ice by the zucchini. Remember what I told you earlier. Resolve that simply by peeling off the green layer and then it will cook literally translucent. Such a nice golden brown. I love how the texture is. We know that the breakfast can be a challenge. This makes that process a whole lot easier for you and your family. Um, I really appreciate all the feedback. We definitely wanna hear from you for our next segment. If you'd like us to cook something or, or maybe make an old favorite and that's allergy free, we can do that here um, on Autism Live. So give us your feedback. You can email us at autismlive at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page like everybody facebook.com slash autism live and also you can reach taka on the taka website at taka now we'll see you again soon thanks for joining us on autism live and we're back and as promised we have two new guests for you uh, we have Lori ireland who was the founder 
of Exceptional Ventures, and Paige Morrow-Falk, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Extraordinary, not Exceptional, Extraordinary Ventures, excuse me. Um, we've talked about this nonprofit in the past. It's a pioneering nonprofit based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and they operate a portfolio of self-sustaining small businesses with the mission to create employment opportunities for adults with autism and other developmental disabilities. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. Appreciate you having us. It's a thrill to have you guys with us. And, and Laura, you've been on the show in, in many different ways. Um, we, for a lot, of, a lot of time, we were doing a show here, a sister show, called The Future is Bright with Autism Society of America. And it's a thrill to have you back on just the regular show. This is such an important thing for everyone to know about Extraordinary Ventures. Give us a little background about how did this come into being. Okay, I'll, I'll start out, but I'm going to let Paige do most of the talking because she's more interesting. No. Um, <laughs> that can't be. We, we just got together a group of parents and educators, etc., over 11, 12 years ago, and our kids were all aging out of the system, and there were not any opportunities for them in terms of working. And in our particular state, we do not have widespread uh, sheltered workshops or day programs. So basically, you are going to turn 22 and have nothing. So we decided we wanted to get something going where our people could fit in and be employed. And it had to be self-sustaining because we, weren't, we don't accept any government funding, no federal dollars, no state dollars. To not be disingenuous, many of our people have, bring their job coach with them that is funded through the waiver program. But that's their waiver program. We receive none of that. We are not a medical facility, so we never ask anybody's diagnosis. Paige works there, I could work there, you could work there, anybody could apply there. All the businesses are run for profit. All the employees are paid at least minimum wage. So this is very, very different than a sheltered work workshop. People are paid at least minimum wage or better. This is real jobs, so if our people couldn't do them, somebody else would would do them. Uh, we, everyone is as integrated as possible for them. And again, clock in, clock out, they show up on time. It's, it's a real job. So run a portfolio of businesses. We are about 85% self-sustaining. The other 50% comes from annual funds. We hope to someday be 100% self-sustaining, but every time we get there, we open another business so we can employ more people. And we employ up 60 individuals. Uh, and again, we don't they might be neurotypical or they might not. But by word of mouth, I suppose many are not. Again, nothing like a placement. Nobody gets placed there by the government. Nobody gets, we don't get subsidized by the government to take them there. We go out and bid for businesses. The business model is based on Goods and services require quality, necessarily efficiency. And we, for instance, in our laundry business, we have a big waiting list. And people don't even know when they sign up for us that many of the people have a developmental disability. They just know we're known to do the best laundry. Things like that. So it's real jobs, real people, and worked out really, really well. And then I'm going to 
let Paige talk now. Well, I'm going to have you guys pause for just a second. Yeah, and just then a second. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about all the different businesses and how you and I can participate and support these businesses by being consumers. So hang on. We're going to be right back after these messages. Nobody ever asks a kid with autism, what is it you really like to do? At this school, we ask the kids, what is your goal? What is your dream? Exceptional Minds is a vocational training program for young adults on the autism spectrum who want to have careers in computer animation and visual effects. I think young people with autism are totally underestimated. When you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. They all have different talents, different skills, and what surprised me is that there really are no limits. That if these guys believe that they can do something, they really can. It's estimated that 90 to 95% of young adults with autism are unemployed or underemployed. A lot of young adults still live at home. A lot of them suffer from depression and are very isolated from the rest of the world. And the opportunities for them are very limited. We want to develop careers for our young adults. Our full-time program runs three years, at the end of which we have job placement and job coaching. We have a work readiness program. We also have our own in-house studios so that when our students graduate, they can do on-the-job training and work on real projects. We outsourced about 30, 40 shots to the team here. They did fantastic work that we can put into a movie and be proud of it. It's great. I mean, we want to do it again. The studio is their first step into the professional world, the first step in their new careers as digital artists. The whole purpose is to get the students out into the real world. We all have the same dreams. We want significance, dignity, and purpose with our lives. We have an opportunity to give those three words to every single student at this school who will actually be able to go out and participate in the dream. This is my first full-time, full-paying job. I primarily work in After Effects. I learned After Effects at Exceptional Minds. It seemed like a good place for me to fit in because I was interested in animation. Right from the first day that Nikki set foot in our company, he was producing work for us. We saw what level of professionalism is being instilled in them from the very beginning. This was the first opportunity where Nikki could combine something he loved to do with something he was really, really good at that could eventually lead to employment. When we first met Kevin, he was working at a supermarket bagging groceries and they said he would never amount to anything else. I work at Stargate Studios and uh, I'm a junior compositor. I mainly do like rotoscoping right now and I'm still learning. I think that you find great talent in the most amazing places. The student. Sure, oh, we're, we're back. back. <laughs> we are. We were talking before the break with uh, the founder of Extraordinary Ventures, Lori Ireland, and the CEO, Paige Morrow-Falk. And we want to learn a little bit more about the kind of business models, the businesses that you operate. So if you could tell us about that. Sure. 
So we currently operate six uh, small businesses at Extraordinary Ventures. Um, and since our mission is uh, to just maximize the amount of employment that we can create, um, five out of six of those businesses are in the service industry and one of them is in the product industry. Um, so we found that uh, the, the businesses that are in the service industry, um, the majority of the expenses are allocated to labor, um, so in support of our mission. So the, the one um, product business that we have is called EV Gifts, um, and in that business we create a line of scented candles, um, soaps, lip balms, uh, jewelry line, and so all of these are handmade by our employees, and then we sell them online um, and in retail stores, uh, you know, mostly across the um, East Coast and across North Carolina. The five um, service industries that we have uh, are a pickup and delivery laundry business called EV Laundry. Um, that serves uh, a, a combination of three different avenues. So we have students, um, residential and commercial, our guys do anything from uh, pickups and deliveries to running the machines, sorting, folding. Um, but again, that's a business that uh, majority of the costs um, are labor, so creating a lot of employment, but also bringing in good revenue. Um, after that, we have our event center, uh, and our guys um, do the setup and breakdown for events, so that's where the employment is created, and then general maintenance of the facility. Uh, we have a bus detailing business, um, and it's a partnership with the town of Chapel Hill, which is where we're located. Um, and our uh, each of our employees on that crew has their task list, um, and we detail the interiors of the buses. Uh, then we have um, an office solutions business. Now, the uh, initial idea behind that uh, business was to offer a, a wide variety of tasks to small businesses in the community. Um, so I think one of the first things people think of is um, shredding and um, services of that sort. We found that it is really hard to, uh, one, make any of um, money and a profit off of the shredding industry because there's just such big competitors out there. Um, and uh, two, it didn't create a ton of employment uh, for us. So we um, focus more on bulk mail, and that has proven to create a, a lot of employment and um, build really transferable skills for our employees uh, and um, bring in actually really great revenue. So you, you kind of get the, the uh, best of both worlds there. Um, so our guys are now mailing out uh, more than 70,000 pieces of mail a month, uh, and we have it structured so that it's not um, high-pressure, time-sensitive task. Um, we train our employees to use the same mailing equipment that you're going to see in any office, uh, and we break up and structure the tasks so that um, people across the spectrum can be successful in those tasks. Um, the last business that we have um, is the newest one we launched called EB Pets. Um, pretty self-explanatory, but it's a dog-walking business, um, and... Our employees come, uh, you know, get all of their uh, uniform and everything that they need, their supplies uh, at um, Extraordinary Ventures at the headquarters and then go off-site to the houses and 
um, walk dogs, cat sit, um, and it'll probably kind of expand into um, additional services, kind of a concierge service of sorts. And how do you um, measure success with these businesses? Sure. So we have um, two conflicting goals that we're always balancing. Um, you have you have the first goal, which is our, our core mission, which is to create employment. So um, to us, uh, success is, you know, providing as many hours of employment as we can for our employees, but um, not just hours to fill time, valuable hours. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, in early stages of business especially, you know, you hire staff, and one of the most um, difficult uh, things to manage is when you have a staff, but the uh, business is not flowing in. Um, you don't have as many customers, and and you're trying to come up with things for your employees to do. Uh, I call that filling time, and it's great to get a business off the ground and to train your employees, but um, then what you want is to staff appropriately um, for the needs of the business, and our employees uh, can, can tell a difference. So um, in the early stages where we had, for example, our laundry business, uh, and we wanted to train the employees on um, and figure out the operations and kind of the flow of things. We would uh, have kind of fake bags of laundry that bring in and, and that we could practice on. Uh, well, one of um, our managers that was uh, running the business at the time uh, caught a big break with marketing and sales, and it felt like overnight we brought in um, 75 customers. So all of us were down there folding laundry and, and um, trying to keep up with the workload, and uh, and our employees loved it. They said, you know, we can tell this is real now. <laughs> uh, we weren't fooling anybody. So, you know, hours of employment hey, me, is big. Yeah, let, me, but, let me just step in here. Coming, I come from a business background, and most employment in the United States is small businesses. It is great when big companies have programs for people on the spectrum, et cetera. But if, you're, if you get real about it, most people in the United States work for small businesses, and that's what, that's what we are. We, um, when you look at a business model for a small business, normally what you'd be doing is solving for profit. We solve for hours of employment. And Paige has a, has a job balancing those things. Yeah, so when, uh, when I talked about these two conflicting goals, like our number one goal is creating um, employment, but we're also trying to generate a profit and increase revenue. Um, and to us, that's that's the key to sustainability. Uh, you know, we can we can keep creating jobs, but those jobs are not going to last if if the organization is is not sustainable and profitable. And um, you know, in in other companies, they're trying to make the most revenue uh, while you know, creating the, or, or having the least amount of expenses, and a big one of those is labor. So, you know, how few employees can you use to uh, produce the same product or service? Um, for us, I mean, we're, we're looking for those businesses that are going to generate the most employment, um, and we might not be quite as efficient in some areas as some of our competitors, uh, but we're still looking to make a profit, and 
that profit margin might come from other places within the business. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we want these jobs to be long term and um, stand the test of time. And in order to do that, uh, we can't depend on things um, like government funding that uh, kind of comes and goes. And, um, you know, while we uh, really value, um, you know, our annual fund supporters, uh, our goal is to take the organization from being 85 to 90 percent um, sustainable off of our business revenues to 100 percent, because then we know uh, the, the control is then uh, in our hands. Right. A, question, a question we get asked a lot when we're speaking, again, in front of different groups like this, or say governmental groups and all that is, what is your success rate at placing people? And we, it, that means you don't get it. If that's right. a question, that means you don't get it, because these are actual jobs. Some people do move on to do other things. People are promoted within Extraordinary Ventures. But our uh, goal is not, okay, at, at the end of six months, now this person is going to go work for IBM. Right. Ours is we're going to have a business. This person has a job. That's, That's right. And amen to That's that. So here, the, here the, when we're totally out of time, but here are the two questions I want to end on. Uh, where can, if we want to be a consumer, because we want to support, because we recognize that this is important and we want to be a customer, where's the best place for us to go to get information about how to do that? Because if I want to buy a gift here on the East Coast, you're on the East Coast, we're on the West Coast, I want to buy a gift. Uh, people are buying teacher gifts mm -hmm. and things like that. We should be buying them from you. Where's the website where we can do that? So for our gifts business, which is the best way to support us across the country and world, um, the website is uh, gifts. .evnc.org, uh, so www.gifts.evnc.org, um, or you can visit uh, extraordinaryventures.org and follow links to each of our six businesses. And, is that and, you, can the best? Also, and you can also try uh, looking for our replication models. We do have several across the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, that was my next question. How can everybody have one right, of these? Right, right. Well, you'd be surprised. You can no, you wouldn't be surprised, actually, at some of the uh, hurdles you have to overcome. Yeah. And we all know in the world of autism, it's very difficult to go from that entitlement way of thinking, particularly for parents and guardians, to go from that entitlement to this is a real job. Mm -hmm. And everybody deserves, as we say here, everybody deserves a job right and everything that comes with it, the pay and the self-respect. And, and feeling like you've got a, a, a seat at the table, uh, no which, is, which is an, an amazing thing. So well, you do have replication models. If somebody, I know we've got some parents watching right now who are like, I wanna, I wanna have this in, in my neighborhood. Where, like, is there a way to franchise? What's, what's that? You can call Paige. Okay. We don't really franchise in the sense that we're not looking to make any money off anybody else's community. And each of our models is unique to their community. Some mm -hmm. are called Extraordinary Ventures, some are not. Okay. But you can call Paige, come and visit in Chapel Hill, and uh, just do it. All right. Okay, great. I just great I love work this, you're doing. and I love you. This is an amazing thing. Thank you so Thank much, Thank you ladies. so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Okay. Bye. -bye. Bye. Just
absolutely love that. Yeah. Uh, and have for years, but always. What a great I, like model. Like my face hurts uh, yeah. talking to them because it just, I, I love this great model. Okay, okay. we've got to take a quick break and come back with our next guest. Yes. So excited to talk with her. She's going to be live with us in the studio. Susan Berkowitz. Yes, and she's a speech and language pathologist. Yes. And talking she's going to talk in about particular about our kids who are nonverbal. Right. So uh, how much do we love that? Uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Parent to parent, you might be asking yourself, how on earth can I afford ABA therapy for my child? Well, the short answer is you can't. No one can. It's really expensive and it's overwhelming to most families. But the story doesn't end there, fortunately. The first thing that I want you to think about is tapping insurance resources. So many insurance companies are paying for ABA therapy right now. So that's your first best bet. Make sure and see if your insurance company is providing benefits for ABA therapy and check back often. Now, if you see that you don't have insurance right now for ABA, don't panic, there are still other resources. The next place to go is to your local support groups and ask them what local resources there are. That's a great place to ask for information because often states and even counties have support for ABA. And then beyond that, you might consider applying for grants. There are many fabulous grants out there to help you to get support for your ABA therapy. But most important, it's, it's absolutely essential that you get ABA services for your child. We know that that's essential for all of our children and that you won't be able to do it on your own. So seek out those services and support groups that will help you to fund your ABA journey. It's really important to remember that all behaviors happen for a reason. Hi, I'm Lisa Ackerman. Welcome back to another Talk of Fact we bring you the most common questions and, and share those answers that help your journey um, and along for you and your family. One of the most common questions we hear all the time is why are these doctors working with kids on the autism spectrum so expensive? Well, there's a simple answer. Kids with autism take more time and unfortunately if you look at a regular pediatrician's practice they may see anywhere from 30 to 60 patients every day. So you may get at most three to five minutes with those, um, those doctors. With doctors that specialize in autism they're called MAPS doctors, the Medical Academy of Pediatric Special Needs. They spend quite more time with each family and each patient. And that could be an hour to an hour and a half for each family that is actually being spent just talking about your child, looking at labs. So why are they more expensive? Well, your pediatrician probably gets paid a lot more per hour based on the number of people they see. A MedMaps doctor is solely dedicated to what you're doing and what your child needs. So look at it this way. If you're spending time with your MedMaps doc and you're working with that doc and it, you will literally on average see somewhere between four to seven hours per year. And then don't forget that other fact we talked about, how to get the best possible healthcare reimbursement so you can make sure that that time is well spent, not only getting answers, but also reimbursed by health insurance. So there, another very detailed long fact um, from Talk of Facts.
parent, let's talk about what a bedtime pass is. Since we know that getting a child to go to bed and stay in bed can sometimes be the most difficult part of the day, we want to make it easier for ourselves and easier for our children. Having a bedtime pass sets limits that children can understand at whatever level they're at. It's a visual representation of what's going to happen. It can be almost anything. You can have a token like this that says good for one trip out of bed, but you don't even have to expend this much energy. You can take something that you have around the house, like dominoes, and say you get each one of these is a pass to get out of bed, and you have to hand it to mommy and daddy before you get out of bed. And they see, ooh, I've only got two. Or it could be a playing card. You can give them four aces. You want to set the limit at a place where you think that your child can be successful. So maybe one night you see how many times your child actually gets out of bed. And if it's six times, give them six cards and say, this is how many times you can get out of bed. And after that, you can't get out of bed anymore. Make sure there's a reward for coming in under the amount that they are given. Over time, you're going to fade it. So if they're successfully doing four, then a week later you can say, now you only get three bedtime passes. Children really get this. And what will happen is they'll start to save them up because they, if you've followed through on the consequences, they don't want to be left with no bedtime passes and they want to get the reward. This is a really simple way of setting limits that you can visually show to your child and that you can follow through on. And we know that following through is a big part of achieving success. Getting our child to sleep can be one of the most difficult tasks of the day. Yes, yes we so have Susan Berkowitz studio, in the studio. Yes, speech and language pathologist Susan Berkowitz. And Susan, you have so many credits here, it would take me the next 20 minutes <laughs> to go through all, them all. But you've been a SLP for more than 40 years, and you've concentrated predominantly on AAC. Tell us yes. what AAC is, for okay. those who don't know. AAC stands for Alternative Augmentative Communication. And so for people who need an alternative to speech because they can't speak, or don't speak, or for people who need their speech augmented because they are either not intelligible enough or they don't have enough language to meet all of their communication needs. Um, and so we look at everything, the full gamut from um, body language, facial expression, signs, um, which is where I started with AAC in the 70s <laughs> um, before there were pictures. Um, any other mode that can enhance the person's ability to communicate okay and make them an effective and you've also written a book called make the connection yes. which is a practical guide to parents and practitioners who are teaching the nonverbal child to communicate yes so so in my 40 40 some odd years as a speech pathologist working with kids who have minimal communication skills or who communicate in ways that we would probably not prefer them to. Mm -hmm. um, we, um, I, I heard sort of two different sides. Um, one, uh, constantly parents just frustrated and unhappy and crying and, um, and not getting the information they need. Um, and I think in, in schools we tend to forget about the parents or the educational setting. Um, and so when I do trainings in school districts, I always say, you've got to invite the parents. You've got to invite the parents. Otherwise, there's no place for the parents to get this information. Right. 
The other side of the coin is speech pathologists who don't all get background in augmentative communication. Mm -hmm. It's not a required course mm -hmm. um, in grad school. Many grad school programs don't have somebody to teach it. Mm -hmm. And so the speech therapists aren't getting the information either. And so my, my working title originally was parents and professionals as partners. I wanted both sides to be on the same page, to be working with the same goals in mind, mm -hmm. with the same information, and a step-by-step, -step, here's the roadmap. You do this, and then this, and then this, and then this. Um, speech therapists don't want another textbook. They mm -hmm. don't have time to read another textbook. Right. Um, they don't want to wade through it and try and figure out what the heck they're supposed to take out of it. Um, and parents, of course, aren't looking at texts um, for, uh, for speech pathology. They want information. They want it distilled. They want it easy. They don't want to have to go to 50 sites on Google to, to find what they're looking for. And so this was my attempt to get that information into the hands of everybody who needs it. Right, because you say a lot of our schools are failing our kids who are not. They are. Um, and it's not deliberate mm -hmm. for the most part, I'll say. Um, it's, it's just that they don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, and so... Which is horrifying. It is. In, in 2019, is. when the information is there, it's it horrifying really that a place of education hasn't taken the time to be educated about this very important part of our population. It's, it's infuriating, but it's wonderful that there are people like you where the connection can be made. Um, so talk to us a little bit about what do you think the... the the thing is that's holding parents back and away from, we see a lot of parents who when, as soon as somebody says to them, we want to do an assistive device um, to help your child to be able to speak, there's a lot of pushback from parents. What do you think is causing that and how do you get around that? Well, there are a couple of things in play. One is that parents are afraid their child will become dependent on a communication device and they want them to talk. Every parent wants their child to talk, and unfortunately, that's just not always in the cards. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's down the road, but in the meantime, the child needs a way to communicate so he's not banging his head against the wall mm -hmm. or exactly. banging our head against the wall. Right. So, um, so we want there to be some some way for them to be able to communicate. And in fact, you know, anecdotally, we saw this for years, and um, finally there's been research to, uh, to bear this out, that if a child has potential to speak, teaching them to use augmentative communication consistently will always increase their speech. And so it's the opposite of it's, what parents yes, think. Yes, it's absolutely the opposite. Um, then we get uh, parents and uh, teachers and school personnel who say, well, wait. Wait, we can. We're still working on speech, um, and the problem is that when they're still working on somebody's speech at eight or nine or ten, they're not getting the language that they need. They're not being able to communicate, and we've got bigger problems. Either they withdraw or they act out. Yeah. Um, because that's the only way they have to communicate. Right. Right. Now you said there are three top ways you can better communicate with your child. The three top tips for getting AAC going. What are those? Okay. So. The first is the use of what we call aided language stimulation or aided input. It's um, basically modeling, and we know that our kids learn through modeling. And so we need to think about picture-based communication as a foreign language, mm -hmm. which is basically is. Kids learn to talk by listening to us talk. They learn English because we're talking English. In France, they learn French. Um, 
kids who are using pictures to communicate haven't had any of those models of people using that language to communicate. So that's, that's the biggest thing, is, is modeling and doing it consistently. Um, all the time, I say. Then I get that deer in the headlights look from people, and I say, nope, you're going to start with one activity. Mm -hmm. Make it easy. One thing you're comfortable with that motivates the child. Find your, your keywords to model and start there. And when you're comfortable, throw in another activity. So modeling is, is the number one step. The second step is um, engaging. Your kid needs to be motivated. They're not motivated by things like, you know, find C, find pop. No, that, that doesn't get it. We need real, genuine communication. The child has to want to communicate. Mm -hmm. um, they don't want to be tested. They don't want to talk about necessarily what we want to talk about all the time. Right. So find things that are engaging to them. Um, and I don't care if that means you're going to spend the next hour lining up cars in a row. Mm -hmm. So be it. Engage with him. And then third is use of what we call core words. Um, core words are the words that are used the most in a language. Um, they are uh, fairly universal. They are um, noun. Uh, sorry, they are verbs, pronouns, adjectives words that are reusable in many contexts, um, as opposed to nouns or labels, which we think is perfect to teach kids first because they're concrete and they're easy to learn and it will teach them to say what they want. Uh, but unfortunately, nouns don't carry the meaning in language. And you make a request, I give it to you, we're done communicating. Like, <laughs> now what? Right. Um, in, in terms of all the different functions or purposes for communication, Requesting is kind of a dead end, um, whereas commenting and describing and, um, and those other functions of language are so much more useful um, socially, uh, personally, academically, all the way around. Do you feel like a lot of speech and language pathologists miss that point? Yeah. We have a lot of parents who will write in and say that their kids were taught labels. Yeah. That that's what they were taught, and they will say, you know, how come we never got to conversation? And, and you know, our kids went through the CARD program, so they were taught manding, which is learning the labels and requesting yeah. those things. But then our kids were taught in, in the ABA world, they call it the interverbals, mm -hmm. which is what leads to the conversation. And when I, when I talk to parents about, you know, talk to your speech and language pathologist, a lot of them come back and say they have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. They don't. Um, and again, it is frustrating. I sort of see two sides to it. Um, I, I can defend speech pathologists and, and tell you that it's not part of most graduate programs. Mm -hmm. And these are good they people. Yeah. These are good people who know a great deal yeah. about a lot of stuff, right. like you know, making the sound and where in the mouth do you make the sound yeah. and getting the sound production out. I don't want to... I, there are oh, some great no, speech and language pathologists, but for this component of it, yeah. it's missing. They can't teach what they don't know, what yeah. they haven't learned. And so part of that is is the fault of the graduate programs. And a lot of us have been lobbying ASHA for the last number of years to make uh, AAC a required course. Not happening yet. Um, on the other hand, the part of me that doesn't have a lot of sympathy for some of these people is you have to get your continuing education units every year. Yeah. I see frequently, and not 
all the time uh, by any means, but frequently I will see people take safe courses, mm -hmm. things they know about that they're comfortable with and they can take a little more to learn about it and, um, and they don't have to think too hard and it's easy as opposed to looking for those um, opportunities for things that they don't know anything about and right. need to learn about. Well, this is all in the book, and we want to encourage people to come. Yeah, where, can, can they get yeah, it? where can they get the book? It's available on Amazon. Okay, Wonderful. Make the Connection, a practical guide to parents and practitioners for teaching the nonverbal child to communicate with AAC. And unfortunately, we're out of time. Out of time. It goes okay. so fast. <laughs> it but, does. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and can people, is there, do you have a website or a place where people yes. can reach out to you personally if Absolutely. they have questions? Okay. Um, you can reach me at languagelearningapps at gmail.com. Okay. Um, and the book has its own website, which is maketheconnectionbook.com. Okay. Okay. Right. And I believe there's a contact me form on there as well. Okay, fantastic. Right, Great. Susan. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Very interesting and thank information. Thank you for all your work with all, all of our kids. Thanks. And unfortunately, we, we pretty much have to sign off. <laughs> yes. We're well past time and, and we have to get out the door. But I will be back here tomorrow with another live show. We got a great uh, cavalcade of guests, including Bonnie Yates, will be with us. So okay. make sure that you tune in tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And yourselves a hug from me. Bye bye. Bye bye for now. So sorry. Yeah. Well,